space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome back to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim, and with me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And we're done with the Temporal Cold War. Woohoo! Yeah, so we've got two more episodes of Lower Decks before Discovery starts. I'm actually hoping that, um, like I mentioned this before as a theory, that I'm hoping they might revisit the Temporal Cold War a little bit. Yeah, you never know. You never yeah, know. Yeah, and, and actually give us, because let's be honest, we had a disappointing conclusion, or a lack of a conclusion, really. No, absolutely. Yeah, so it, it, it would be interesting. It'd be nice for them to revisit it. Yeah, and kind of do it. Somewhere. Like, as I said, I think that'd be quite a nice premise for the Section 31 show. Yeah, a lot, sort of a, a Department of Temporal Investigations type thing as well. With yeah, them going sort round. of maybe... Like, when the first day uh, we're looking at Discovery, it was meant to be... Um, more of an anthology, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. It's going to be a different ship through different centuries, and yeah. you have to do it that way. Where you, it'd be quite nice to see different stories in different centuries. Them having to move through and make sure things go right. Oh yeah, be definitely. So don't get this uh, big, whatever the burn is. Oh yeah, definitely be up for something like that, but. Um... Remains to be seen. We'll see how season three plays out, and if. Yeah. If Section 31 is still going to be a thing, I think we'll see the seeds of it being planted in Season 3 of Discovery. So Yeah, like, do we know if Michelle Yeoh is still meant to be in Section well, 31? Yeah, I suppose technically she is, but she's on Discovery, so yeah, I suppose... Yeah, like, have they changed the term a Discovery main cast member? I think they have, but then I suppose the question will be, does Section 31 still exist in the 31st century and if yeah. it does will she be welcome back and yeah lots and of interesting stuff do we need michelle Yeoh to carry a show or do we go with different cast or well that's it exactly you still got shazad latif knocking about somewhere yeah. who seemingly has got nothing nothing to do in the the star trek universe that's been announced to say i still won't be surprised to see him turn up on strange new worlds but um, you know, we'll wait and see. So there was a nice dynamic between him and Pike, like not really trusting each other and getting a bit of grudging respect for each other. So yeah, I'm not sure if uh, you could maybe. I don't know if he'd become a regular crew member. No, but he could. But he could pop he up. He could maybe have him pop up. But they've speculated about that, haven't they? Like we could have uh, Doctor Flops. We could have. Oh, it could be all sorts of people. It's yeah. But that'll be ooh, late next year, they've said. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see with the world the way it is, whether that'll all come off or not. Anyway, for this week then, we said we'd, now that we've done the Temporal Cold War, we're going to look at two out-and-out classics for the last two weeks. Um, so before we get on to arguably the most classic episode of Star Trek, the original series. This week, we're paying a visit to Deep Space Nine, and we're looking at Season 4, Episode 2, or Episode 3, if you count Where the Warrior as two episodes. Yeah, I think most people watch 
to be fair, I think most people watch Wave the Warrior as a movie, don't yeah, they? Yeah, I think so, and go, it was... Oh, it, I'll watch this, I'll watch half of it and come back later. You watch yeah, and it was, <laughs> it was broadcast as a... It was basically like a second pilot, that they the way they framed it, but... Yeah. This is the first one back after that, so this is The Visitor. And yeah, this is this is a good one. This is a classic. It is a, it it it's an out and out classic. It's a it's a really touching story. It's a very sad story. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like it's very strange because I went back and watched it, and like I'm, I'm with everyone else. This is a classic. It's great Star Trek, but it's not one that when I want to do a rewatch and I think, just feel like oh I want to watch some Star Trek. I want to watch some DS9. Mm. What do I want to watch? This isn't one of my go-to episodes. No, and I think, you know, for me, I'm the same, and I think it's probably because it is a very emotionally charged episode, so it's it's not one that you just sort of stick on in the background. It draws you in, and you've got to pay attention to it, and it, it does sort of hit you in the feels, as it were. So, yeah, it's not necessarily the easiest watch like you said yourself it's it is a sad episode so yeah i can see why you wouldn't immediately pick yeah, this one like as you go to if I'm sort of thing oh, i fancy some ds9 i'll look at some i don't know i'll look at something from the dominion war or yeah them sort them sort and i'll end up watching half a dozen episodes because you can't just watch one no that's it exactly the dominion war no, that's it. But I mean, this one comes at an interesting time as well because they'd they'd reintroduced the Klingons as a, a threat and they'd brought Worf in. And I remember at the time I was a little bit worried that that was going to compromise where DS Nine was going. So I was well, a fan of there DS Nine. There was all sorts of rumours, wasn't there at the time? Like there was going, there was a, there was rumours circulating um, the Klingons going to be. Next to DS9, and it's all going to be this battle between the Federation and the Klingons. Yeah. Fortunately, we didn't get that. No, exactly. I mean, we do get a bit of a, a war with the Klingons, but it, it lasts sort of a season and a half, and it's very heavily tied into the Dominion War as well. And yeah, at this point, my worry was well, they're going to try and make it all about Worf, and it's all going to be about the Klingons. And this episode. I think is really reassuring that they weren't going to do that because this is your know, Worf's barely in it at all, um, which I'm not saying is a good thing. Like I love Worf, like, but well, t- to be fair, um, there's very little of any of the regular cast members in this episode. That's fair, yeah. It's a, it's mainly Jake, it, isn't it, it? it? Yeah, well, even Jake isn't actually in it a great deal. He's well, not um, not Syrup Lofton, yeah, the actor, no, true. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you've just like they had they just reboot relaunched the series, huge amounts of money on Wave the Wave the Warrior for the time it was made. Yeah, and then suddenly the next episode there's and it is one of the great episodes ever. But you you get you do it without pretty much your entire regular cast members being. Yeah, it's very self-contained in that sense. It, it is just, anybody could watch this, regardless of how into DS9 they are or how into Star Trek they are. You yeah. could follow this. Because it is effectively a simple story about a father and a son. I mean, obviously... Yeah, it is, yeah, 
Yeah, it just happens to be in the Star Trek universe. Yeah, and it but... happens to involve time travel and all sorts of things. But the <laughs> yeah. the core of the story is a very it's a very basic relationship based story. Yeah. So let's let's dig into it then. So we start off, and we don't know yet, but this is in the future, and it's really rainy, and we've got this young woman coming to the house who is yeah. played by it's Andrew Robinson's daughter. I was about to say that it's Garrick's daughter. Yeah. So, yeah. and um, we nearly got her as a regular cast member for season seven. Really. Yeah, she was um, the favourite to play Ezra. Oh, was she? That would have been yeah. interesting. So I think she's very, very good in this. Yeah, she is. And what's clever about how they establish this is, you know, we've got to establish that this is Jake and this is an old version of Jake. And it does it very cleverly by sort of panning across the room and you get the pictures of Cisco and Jake and you get Cisco's baseball. And it, it's quickly putting you in mind of, well... This is either going to be Cisco or Cisco's dad or Jake. You know, it it plants you in it really if cleverly. Have you not seen um, Cisco's dad by this point in the? Um, let me think. Yeah, you had seen him. I mean, you know, just before you even get into the scene and seeing the actors, it's just panning over everything and showing you, so you know it's an it's going to be a member of the Cisco family just yeah. from the things that we see. And, yeah, it, we do find out it is Jake. And, obviously, he's played by Tony Todd, who's got a bit of a Star Trek history. He's been, he, most famously, I think, as Kern, Worf's brother. Yeah. Uh, but I think he's, I'm pretty sure he's cropped up here and there in yeah, a couple of was, other roles as well. It was also meant to be... Um... Uh, Federation Admiral, um, if they have, if they'd made the Axanar in Prelude to Axanar, of course, he's in that. yeah, he was in that, and obviously, be, uh, aside from Star Trek, probably best known for Candyman and the uh, the various sequels yeah, and he's everything. Been in, he's been in lots. He's been in lots of sci-fi, lots oh, of fun, lots, lots of other good drama. Well, this is the thing. I think he he's brilliant in this. He he gives a really really good performance that you might not expect of him if you're only familiar with him from his horror roles. Yeah, he has one, like, he has one of them voices, though, really distinguishable. Yes, yes. (laughs) And, yeah, so you get this conversation um, with Jake and everything. We get a sense of who he is at this point in his life, like, we find out quickly that he has become a successful author and he, he's written this book called Anselm and he's done a collection of short stories, but then he's become a bit of a recluse. So there's this sort of uh, J.D. Salinger type thing that he famously wrote Catcher in the Rye, which is sort of regarded as the great American novel. Uh, but then he disappeared and he didn't write anything else. And yeah. there's a bit of a sense of that with Jake here. And he's sort of quite self-effacing, like she says, you know, you're my favourite author, and he says, you should read more. (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was quite a nice line. Yeah, it is. And it shows, you know, the humility of him. And what the the setup of the episode, basically, is she wants to know why he disappeared and why he stopped writing. And at the end of the teaser, he says that when he was a young boy, his father died. And that's where we left it there. And 
one thing that sort of stood out to me in this this time through watching it is that we don't really know how old Jake is. Like, we know he's old. Yeah. But we, we don't know how old he is, so we don't know how far in the future we actually are here. Like, it could be a hundred years on from where we were in Deep Space Nine, so we know people live longer in the future. Yeah. And Cisco at the end, says to Jake, like, you know, you could have a lot of years left, so he's... He, he wouldn't necessarily die of old age if he doesn't do what he does. So Yeah, um, I got the impression that, like, by the time we watch it all, that he's probably somewhere around 80. Maybe so, yeah. So he, he could be... Because we have from, like, one gap to the next, and I'm sure he says that it's been 40 years have passed. Yeah, and there's also um, the thing... And I got the impression that the time was almost doubling every time. Yeah, and it's all to do with... go, well, 40 years plus 20 plus 10. So, 80 or 90, I thought, maybe. And it, I thought maybe we are talking 100 because it talks about the wormhole doing this every 50 years. And we see him make one attempt 50 years later. And right, it's not yeah. explicitly stated that this is the next time it does that inversion thing, but... I thought maybe because they say that's when Cisco comes back is when stuff happens with the wormhole. But either way, we're we're very far into the future of the Star Trek timeline here. Yeah. Um, but all we see is the inside of Jake's house, so we we don't get any clues as to what's going on in the wider Federation no, or uh, anything. The only really, thing, like I think the only clue that we get if technology moved on in the entire episode, is when they're back on board the Defiant that's pulled out of mothballs. Yeah. And they go, oh, it's years since I've used 2D controls. Yeah, and that, of course, ties in with what we're seeing in Picard now. They're, yeah. They're using these 3D ones. So, yeah, it, that's one of them nice instances where things do add up in yeah. a way that works. And, yeah, we get... There's a bit where Jake's talking to her and he, he says, he gives her this speech which comes back later about uh, you've got to poke your head up and see life and everything. And that reminded me of Ferris Bueller. I'm sure Ferris Bueller says almost exactly the same thing Yeah. in his monologues. Yeah, there's, it's something similar. Yeah, so maybe Ferris Bueller's still a, a popular film in the... In the yeah. st- Star Trek time, I don't see any reason why not. It's a great film, so... Yeah, it's a classic. Exactly. And then we get as flashbacks, which are basically, that's taking us to our time, Deep, deep Space our time Nine. Our yeah. And, yeah, the, we find out Jake's really into his book, but Cisco wants to take him to see this thing with a wormhole. And, obviously, this story is all about Cisco and Jake's relationship and I love the little things that you get about it like Cisco basically says you know stay here and Jake in his voiceover says you know I usually do what he tells me but this time I didn't and I like that when Cisco spots Jake in engineering he doesn't bollock him straight away you know he probably would have done later had this not happened but He's in a crisis situation, so he's like, right, Jake's here, so he needs to help. 
and he starts off straight away, like, pass me this, pass me that, do this, do that. Right, find me this piece of equipment so I can deal with this. Yeah, exactly. So it's he doesn't do that typical that you might expect in a lesser, a less well-written show that you'd have the dad getting angry at the son for disobeying him. It's, you know, obviously like, now isn't the time for that and he yeah, utilises like, the fact fair, that Jake's we there. We the fourth season and I think they've done it, I think like literally from episode one, the emissary, they've done a really, really great job of the family dynamic between Jake oh. and absolutely yeah it's, it is really really good and i think this is this shows at this stage cisco's treating him more like an adult than a young boy yeah and he's utilizing him when he is there but obviously cisco stops the warp car going up but he gets zapped by this thing and that's what sets us up and that's yeah he gets zapped and like, for all intents and purposes, he's being killed, he's being disintegrated. Yeah. And we see, like, the fallout. There's a memorial service on Deep Space Nine, and I like the way that's realised as well, because it it takes into account the fact that Cisco is this holy person to the Bajorans, so... Yeah, it's like... I thought that was nice for Major Kira. <laughs> like, she goes, he was my commanding officer, but he's also a religious icon yeah. to my people. But the most important thing is he was my friend. Yeah, exactly. Which so, I thought was a re- and the the eulogies are really well done. They are, and it, this connection to the Bajoran thing makes you realise how big a role he has in that society. Because you know it's something that we dip in and out of over the course of the show, um, but it does show the impact of it. The Effectively, it's like the Pope dying to the Catholic religion, you know. Yeah. And it's had that impact, and they even tie that into the story. It's like the the fact that Bajor loses its emissary means that they become a lot more fearful and they're scared of the Klingons. And, and, and they lost faith in the Federation because yeah. of it, because it was, it was a Federation exactly. commander at the and, and that all ties in and scans perfectly with what we know about the political situation in Deep Space Nine at this time. It's almost like, you know, last week we were talking about alternative history related to Earth politics, you know, the Second World War and all of that. But this works as an alternate history of the Star Trek universe. This could have been an outcome had Cisco died at that point. Yes. it isn't a stretch to imagine that this is how it would have all gone down. Yeah, yeah a mutual protection pact between Bajor and the Kardashians. Yeah. It's sort of like, what? But yeah, you can see that. Yeah, you can. If they're that distanced from the Federation because of it and the threat of the Klingons is that big, yeah. then yeah, you can see. And, you know, you would imagine that the Cardassians exploited this, but... You know, later we get the Bajorans do sign a non-aggression pact with the Dominion. Yeah. So it's not... It's not a million miles away, is it? Like, there's also another part of foreshadowing. It's like when the Bajorans sign this pact and they evacuate in civilians, Mm. Jake doesn't go. Yeah, which... And Jake Jake doesn't go when the Dominion take over the station. No, absolutely, yeah, I've not picked up on that. So you've got a few foreshadowing of things. Well, another thing as well is you get that scene with Kira 
um, telling him that I'm going to let you stay for now, but when I tell you you have to go, you must go. And this sort of almost maternal thing that Kira's doing, looking after Jake, if you go right to the very last shot of the entire show of Deep Space Nine, it finishes with Kira putting her arms round Jake after Cisco's to yeah, all intents and purposes died. So, you know, that comes in as well. Yeah, so. it, like, for when this episode's done, and, and it is showing an alternate future, mm. but it does pick up, they pick up a few of the threads. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they, play, they play out slightly differently, but you do get the same sort of things happening. That's it, I mean, and it shows what a strong foundation... Deep Space Nine has with its characters and with its storylines that all of these things make sense in both contexts, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it, it, like, it's really clever that when you pick it apart and you say, well, that didn't actually happen, but si- this happened, which yeah. is so similar the, to it. And it's that thing that they've talked about before, that um, time's like a, a rubber band and like snapping back into yeah, shape. things still tend to happen, yeah. But it's it's also it is the depth of the the characterization because it's you've got Jake Cisco, he's in this situation, he does that, and then okay, that doesn't happen in this, you know, in the timeline because this episode effect it becomes one of them where it's reset kind of thing. But um, well, not completely. Not completely, no. But then it, what when it did happen, but it didn't happen, it's a really confusing It is. And I've got some thoughts on that when we get to the end. But but then when Jake Sisko gets put in a similar situation in the real timeline, he acts in a similar way. So it shows the keeping the characters consistent throughout. But but he stays for different reasons, but he does stay. Exactly. So we get... There is a a very brief scene where Sisko appears when Jake's asleep and... He sort of chalks it up as a dream and he manages to kind of convince himself that it, you know, is half dream, half hallucination, yeah, half wishful like, thinking. Yeah, he did mention it to Dax and Dax ran a load of scans, but there's no evidence he was there. But then he appears again and this time they get him to the medical bay and they think he's been pulled into subspace. And again, it's a wonderfully acted scene. Like, you have Cisco there, who to him it's only been, you know, minutes, minutes if that. seconds. But Jake's having to process all these emotions of, you know, he's thought his dad's dead, he's mourned him. And, like... Yeah, I should, have, I should have touched him and known he was real last time he appeared, but I didn't. Yeah, and his, his reaction, he's literally speechless in that scene. And again, it's brilliant acting from Syrup Lofton because it is just a level of grief that we don't often see on TV, but he conveys that really, really well. And likewise, Avery Brooks is doing this sort of strong father thing that he needs to know that Jake's okay and that's what he's focused on. And he's, you know, instead of wondering how they're going to try and fix it. And you've got Dax and Bashir and everyone trying to come up with a solution, but he he doesn't seem as bothered about that. He's there to try and make sure Jake's okay. So yeah. 
It's a really, really well done scene. And then we get old Jake again, and this is where we find out he says that he's dying. And obviously at this point, we're assuming that it's natural causes, but we'll... Yeah, that he's dying of old age. Yeah, we'll find out more as we go along. And we get a bit more, we jump forward quite a bit in time, like we, we find out the station got turned over at the Klingons, and Jake went back to Earth and wrote his novel. And we get... He's got married. Yeah, to a Bajoran woman. Yeah, it, like there's obviously been, from this instance where they all see Cisco, there's been quite a lot of time has passed without him being seen again. So I think he thinks that was it. In his yeah, I think that that's point. it. I think he, he thought that was their chance to save him. Yeah. And now it's gone. And we get an older version of Nog, who's now a commander. And yeah, yeah, really nice scene. We get little tidbits about what other people are doing, like Quark's finally got a moon that he wanted. Um, yeah, and they do that uh, running joke again, don't they? Um, Mom now owns the bar, and he's talking everyone's head off like yeah, yeah. usual. And we never once see Mom say a word in DS9. No, exactly, and you never do. But I remember yeah, they were, they but were... it was a running joke that it was supposedly a motor mouth. Yeah, exactly. And I remember there was sort of jokes at the time about he should have the last line of the series like that's yeah. how it should finish with Morn saying something I'm glad they didn't do that but um, it would have been cheesy but it'd also be yeah <laughs> and then the, Cisco appears again at this point and it's really I find it really really impressive uh, the performance from Avery Brooks because what you've got now is a different actor playing Jake and an actor who's much older. But I think that the way Avery Brooks plays it convinces you that that bond is still there, that it's exactly the same relationship. Yeah, yeah, it does play it well. And especially when you consider that Tony Todd's something like, he is younger than Avery Brooks, but only by about six years. Yeah, I was about to say there's not a lot between them. no. And but yet Avery Brooks plays it as this is my son, you know, my little boy sort of thing. And he you know, he continues to do that even when Jake's an old man. So it's very, very impressive the way he yeah, he gets like, that across. It's again it's that thing to to Cisco. It has it's only been minutes. Oh yeah, exactly. Like you've got him like actually probably a bit more of a minute because they got him to sick bay last time. Yeah. So how long were we going to say? Maybe half an hour they had him. But it, that is the only amount of time that's passing to him is when he's... Yeah. So when he, he does turn up again, he's got to quickly kind of bring himself up to speed. Yeah. And also try and spend some quality time. And, you know, in this one, he meets Jake's wife and he's asking right. about grandchildren. Yeah, and he it, finds out that he's uh, become an orphan. Exactly. He published and he's really proud about it. And this is sort of a big turning point for Jake's character, isn't it? Because at this point, he becomes obsessed with bringing Cisco back. Like, he apologises. Yeah, he realises that he isn't actually gone through ever, that he's trapped in subspace and he keeps appearing and he can't work out why. And they try to... Tr- and he it, it, it does, he becomes com- obsessed. He goes back to school to learn all about... Yeah. And- some bizarre subspace engineer. And as a result, his marriage deteriorates, he doesn't write any more books, he doesn't have children. Yeah. And 
which is very tragic, and, you, you know, Cisco comments on that later on. And this is where you get well, Cisco's the... not happy with him through it, is he? No, not at all. And that's the thing, because he's, he's getting these snippets of his son's life, but in between, his son's not really living a life. He's, he's obsessed with with him, and you get the sense Cisco would rather... He just lets him go and lives his yeah, own life. And, and then have his life, enjoy his life. Yeah. Which, is, which brings us back to <coughs> what he told... I can't remember her name in this. Do we even find out her name in Melanie, story? I think her name is. Melanie. Where he says that you've got to get put your head up sometimes. Yeah, exactly. So, and that is another dynamic because you get Cisco as a much, much older character who's lived through all this and reflected upon it. And I think he is aware that to some extent he's wasted his life because you know, ultimately he wants to do over, you know. And I think he says, doesn't he, that like it's not just for his dad, it's for the boy that he was, you yeah. know. But before we get to the ending then, we get this great scene where we have the older crew members and it's... It's kind of the Deep Space Nine take on all good things, really. Like, you bring the older crew back together. Yeah, you get the defiant out of mothballs. Yeah. could pull some strings. And they go out on this little mission. And there's some nice stuff in that as well. Like, it's the same uniforms as in all good things and the same com badges, which is a nice... Yeah, it was a nice little touch that they went... Yeah. in the future, so let's... And they did, they kept some continuity yeah. there. And it's clear that, like... They also probably saved them some money because of the costumes. Oh, absolutely, costume yeah. Which one can you fit in? Yeah, it'd be a case of, <laughs> right, um, we've got Gates McFadden's, so uh, Dax, you're going to have to go into that because yeah. <laughs> you're the character who has to wear it. So, yeah. So you get the sense with Dax and Bashir that they're still really good friends in this future. Yeah. But we do find out Bashir's got kids and he's always talking about his kids. We don't find out who his wife is, but um, obviously it can't be Esri Dax in this timeline. Yeah, well, no, because we've still got Judzia. Exactly. So Judzia lives in this timeline, which is interesting. So, Well, hmm. yeah, but it does bit like, timeline gets altered, doesn't it? So. Oh, yeah. It's interesting, though, if Jake doesn't do what he did... Judzia would have still lived. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Well, well, there's probably lots of people who would have lived and lots of people lots, who died exactly, as a yeah. yeah, it's interesting. And so the plan is we're going to recreate the accident. And what happens is we get this scene between Cisco and Jake, and it's in this sort of white limbo thing which is very much like how we always see the Celestial Temple represented with the prophets. Yeah, so I find that interesting, particularly with what we learn about Cisco later in the run of Deep Space Nine, that he is effectively half prophet. Yeah. So could there be something going on there? Is the is the fact that he's half prophet allowing him to function like this in time and that yeah or to have survived in this way to have survived yeah rather than just being obliterated yeah and we'll get to how that ties into the end in a second but 
And this is, like we said, the bit where Cisco's really imploring Jake to get his life back on track and forget about him and, you know, get writing books again. Yeah, get your wife back. Have you have have kids? Yeah. And then he does do that and he realizes that he's been anchoring Cisco and effectively him dying will reset it all. Yeah. And he, he, he repeats that thing back to Melanie about, you know, taking in life and everything. And you get the last sort of scene between the two of them where it's old Jake is asleep and Cisco appears. And again, talking about how great Avery Brooks is acting because he's acting opposite a man who in reality is only six years younger than him, but he's made up to look... 40, 50 years older yeah. than him. Uh, well, at least 40 or 50 years. If we're going to 100, we're probably saying yeah. it's probably closer to 60 years older than him. But he's still channeling this affection that a father has for a son who's younger. And it's really, really... It takes really good acting to pull it off because it could look incredibly silly. Yeah, it could. And I think they all nail it in this one. And, yeah, effectively, Cisco realises what Jake's trying to do, which is basically he's killing himself while Cisco's there. Yeah, to break the connection. To break the connection and reset it all. And then we do go back to where it started. And Well, well Jake also tells him... And as soon as you shut down the warp engine, jump to the right or jump to yeah, the left. Yeah, exactly. And I wonder if the reason Cisco can remember this is because he is half profit. So, to some extent, it can function outside of linear time. Well, I just got the impression that because you see another like when he comes back on the Defiant and he's asking about his is he got grandkids yet? Yeah. And all that. So he can remember the previous times that he's appeared. Yeah. So he has a couple of hours of memory. Right. I see what you mean. So, so so he remembers what has happened to him. So. Right. He, I so get it. So like when he come, when he, when it finishes at the end, even though it's like a second later, sort of he shuts down the warp car and then he jumps to the, to the right or left to dodge yeah. the bit. The power spike, so it don't get trapped in subspace this time. But he remembers what has happened, so he knows about Jake's wife. He knows what a waste. Right, of see, his I'd life. never, I'd never thought so of it that way. He knows way. what a waste of his life uh, chasing after him it was. So when he uh, says to Jake, like, I guess we got lucky this time. He's protecting Jake from that knowledge of yeah, what'll yeah, happen in his future. Yeah. So like. This future happened, and Cisco remembers it happening and knows it happened. But because he's come back, time's altered. Right, that's really interesting. So I'd never quite thought of it that way before. I'd always read it as effectively this is reset, but somehow Cisco's retained this directive to move out of the way. Yeah, I like I have the impression from it that. He remembers every time he's come back. Well, that makes it even more poignant in a way then, because yeah, Cisco's... Which really makes you wonder, 
like at the end of DS9 when he's trapped with the prophets, what what's Jake gonna do with his life now? Well, yeah, I suppose it's a bit. Uh, the circumstances are a bit different, but yeah, but he's still trapped with the prophets. He's trapped in yeah. another reality. So he's trapped is out. Jake going to become obsessed with getting him back now for the next next well, hundred years of his life or whatever? You would hope not, because. The way it finally ends up, Cisco says to Cassidy that he can and he will come back at some point. So hopefully yeah. Jake would, Jake would respect that and wouldn't wouldn't waste his life again. Yeah. But yeah, it raises all sorts well, is, of interesting it questions. Worrying. It's like, it's like, well, if time repeats itself, because we've had, we've talked already mentioned the other things that similarities from this episode that happen later. So if we got that, this is going to happen to Jake as well. Yeah, because it's only three years later that he he does actually lose his father. So yeah, yeah, that is an it's, interesting it's still, thought. Still quite a young man. Yeah, no, that is an interesting. I mean, I know there's uh, there's the various spin-off novels and everything, but obviously they're not canonical. So I guess we'll have to wait and see whether we ever get any sort of follow-up to Deep Space Nine to see if we get an answer? Yeah, like, I don't know if Picard's set far enough in the future for us to visit any of the characters. I suppose you could visit some of the characters in Picard. Yeah, I mean, it'd be nice if in Picard or something like that they had someone reading one of Jake's novels or something yeah. so that we can see that he's he's done that. But we'll we'll wait and see. So, yeah, because we've got his novel, like, what is it, Spock said, um, Time Abhors a Vacuum. Yes, yeah. Well, that's it. He, maybe he needs to, this book, he's imp- it obviously has an impact on people, like this Melanie, so... Yeah. Yeah, the, maybe the galaxy needs Anselm by Jake Sisko, but we'll see. Uh, so that's The Visitor from Deep Space Nine. We're going to move on then and talk about Crisis Point, the latest episode of Lower Decks. If you've, episode. If you've not seen it, um, the red alert signal is your time to put us on pause, go away and watch it and come back. Um, for those of you that have seen it, we'll see you in a second. Yeah, so Crisis Point, like you say, the penultimate episode, it's gone really quickly this season of... Um, yeah, like, I'm I'm going to really miss this show. I am, yeah. Uh, I, I'm really going to miss it. Like, you talked about last week, was it your favourite episode? It I'm was, not sure yeah. This episode might be my favourite. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this one's another excellent episode. I think it the, is. I think the last two have been the best two. Yeah, um, like... I'm going to do, uh, like I said, I, I like to do a rewatch when it's all through. So I'm going to watch the new episode when it drops on Thursday. And then I'm going to watch the whole thing before we record next week's show. Right, okay. Again, because it's not going to take a great deal of time. No, that's not, true. Not a lot else to do. <laughs> no, exactly. But yeah, it's another really, really, really strong episode. And it's another one that, whereas last week we had this conceit of it being a trial and it being different people's versions of events this week we've got it's a movie 
and you know <laughs> it was all the movies and yeah exactly and that's so we get to really dig into poking fun at homaging however yeah, you want to go it, I, I think you'd have to say it's a homage to the movies yeah and there's so much great stuff in this one so so we start off then with mariners tearing down these statues and there's sort of lizards and I'm not even sure what the other guys are like rats or something well, the, the rodent people are, we've got lizard people and rat rodent, people. yeah and mariners sort of leading like a lizard uprising effectively and she's yeah. she's expecting that the captain's going to turn up and praise her for it yeah I thought this was quite a nice let's turn what we'd always say on its head because so many times and we've seen it in Star Trek as well with reptilian species eating rodents. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, and, and here you've got, like, it's the rat people who eat the lizards. Yeah, and I love the bit where um, the captain's sort of saying, you know, we shouldn't interfere with this, and this is their normal thing, and you've got the rat guy in the background, like, licking his lips, looking at the, <laughs> the yeah. lizards. Well, I like how uh, Mariner says to the, ra- to the lizard people, um, you're free now. And like, and, but the, and the rat guy goes, but they're so tasty. And the, rat, and the lizard guy goes, yeah, we are tasty. Yeah, <laughs> and we like to bask, and that, that's yeah. all they want to do. <laughs> but yeah, it ends up Mariner gets in trouble basically for violating the prime directive. But then, the captain does deal with the situation. Yes, yeah, she does quite easily with the. Yeah. Uh, we'll give you replicate as well. Do they do um, <laughs> nutrition pellets? pellets. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> so so yeah. The, they have these lizard people and they don't even eat them as meat. They just turn them into nutrient pellets. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there was a, a more diplomatic solution than the one that Mariner found. Um, but ultimately, they both end up, um, both solutions, Mariner's and the captain's, avoid the lizard people being eaten, but um, the captain's is less violent, I suppose. (laughs) So this means that she's got to get therapy and we're warned... Like like she's saying, oh, send me to the brig, and she goes, no, you're going to therapy. (laughs) Yeah. And I thought this was nice, Mariner's response, where she goes, what, it's the 19... Sorry, what, it's the 80s? It's the 80s, People don't suffer from uh, psychiatric diseases anymore. Which I thought was really clever tying into next gen started in the eighties and yes, you got exactly. The was suddenly a big part of it. Yeah, 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 really clever. And I had to think for a second. I was like, "Is this the eighties in Star Trek?" Yes, it is. Okay, yeah, it caught me off guard for a second. Yeah, but yeah very good, very clever. Ed, you warned about the bird guy who uses food metaphors, and he does. <laughs> A lot. Yes, a lot. So he's quite interesting. And then on the holodeck, we've got Leonardo da Vinci, but it's not Janeway's da Vinci. It's a more more trigger-happy version of da Vinci. Yeah, it's one they've programmed to play with. Yeah. And the the setup for it all is that Boimler's made a, situa- uh, a simulation of the crew using uh, the personal logs to make algorithms... Yeah, seven years of personal logs. Which, how he's got hold of these, and ethically, whether you're allowed to do this, well, I don't know. I think ethically it'd be wrong. I was thinking about this, and I think ethically, 
especially for an ensign like he is. Yeah, yeah, oh, it's it, definitely. It but you've got all. I've, I imagine, even though the court will be coded and all sorts, I imagine pretty much any crew member on board a federation ship, because they've come from the academy and how they get trained in computers. Oh, and, yeah, I'm sure they can hack it. That any, pretty much anyone would hack, it, hack into this. I'm Look sure how they easy could. Go when they come across an alien spaceship, or let's say download its database. Yeah. No, I'm sure that they're capable of it. It does seem a bit too much on the naughty side for Boimler. I could see Mariner doing it, but yeah, well, they do. It is they do mention that, don't they? Yeah, and it's basically so he wants to prep for an interview, so he wants to find out how he can best brown nose everybody. <laughs> yeah, and then Mariner hides brown nose throughout the episode. Yeah, and they're perfectly right. He's trying to brown nose. Oh, he is. He absolutely is. And Mariner hijacks it and makes it into a movie on the holodeck, which is where we get very sort of metatextual. And not least just from a visual standpoint, because it it goes to widescreen. I mean, even though, you know, it's in widescreen anyway, because you know, television is presented in widescreen, yeah. but we it goes to a different aspect ratio. It goes to a, um, a narrower aspect ratio. Yeah. Uh, which is more as as movies are, you know, the sixteen nine, which most televisions are, isn't standard for movies. Movies is a uh, usually a bit a bit wider than that, yeah. which is why we well, get the the black borders. Which is, which is weird because when TVs first went to sixteen nine, mm. that was to match the movie ratios that they were using at the time. Yeah, it's a weird so one. The, the match TV so they could show movies as they were filmed. So the movies have started fo- filming in a wider <laughs> format. Yeah, it's a strange so it one. not the TV anymore. I mean, which... yeah, it's all sorts of, like, swings and roundabouts. I mean, because TVs used to be 4-3, yeah, which is uh, called Academy Ratio, which is what they used to make movies in, and then movies went widescreen and then TV, so... Yeah. Who knows? But um, that's how they show that we're going into a movie. And also... There's like fake um, scratches on the the film in inverted yeah. commas. You know, obviously, this is an animation that's probably um, saved on a digital file, so it's it, it's most likely filmed with digital cameras. Uh, but to make it look more like a film, they the they put these scratches these scratches, which I just think's really really clever. And you get like the credits flying at everybody. And the music yes, keep it in Boimler. <laughs> yes. And the music's very, very uh Wrath of Khan. Yeah. And well, not quite Wrath of Khan. Going back to the motion picture, we get that really long flyover of the Ceratos. Oh it and it it it's a lovely shot they've done and you get some lovely views of, of the Ceratos. Yeah, yeah. But isn't it just like it's really a Mickey take of how long the, that pod shot in the motion picture. Oh, it is, yeah. And but it also reminded me of the end of Star Trek Four. Yes, it did me. When, they, when they're all in the shuttle. Yeah, you had the whole crew on the shuttle. Yeah. And, yeah, and you've got, they take it obviously to the extreme is you've got the engineer in tears looking at yeah. the ship. 
But yeah, that's really good. Dig it, the the motion picture, uh, like you say, well, Star Trek. I don't Trek. think it's even. A, I don't no. think it's a dig at it. It's I think a it's, to it. And I think it's very light hearted. Like, it's very clever because if you didn't know Star Trek, you could watch this and think, yeah, they take because it's been made into a movie. They're taking the Mickey out and looking over the thing. But knowing Star Trek movies, yeah, it's a massive homage. But they're not calling out names of people here. No, no. On. I don't feel like they're doing it in bad humour at all. I, not in I, the I think, slightest, no. I think it's very affectionate. And obviously we get like visual references to the Kelvin movies. Like when they go well, to warp, it's get, the Kelvin. Well, well, you get when they go on to the bridge, there's lens flare. Oh, they're in half lens flare. <laughs> yeah, there's <laughs> lens flare everywhere. And... But they're going to warp and, and all, it, like not just in the Kelvin movies, but in the like original movies, you got different effects when they went yes, to warp than what you do in the TV shows. Yeah, and they're using that here, so we, we're getting, like, sort of the Kelvin effect. Um, and then the the plot, as it is, kind of kicks in, like... Mariner really is using it as a way of having a dig at a mum, really, or not yeah. at a mum, but at a simulation of a mum, so she gets to say whatever she wants kind of thing. She gets to say whatever she, she wants, and her, her ultimate goal is to have a fight with her and kill her. yeah. And she casts herself as this villain vindictor. Yeah. Which I suppose is a little bit like when Janeway was chaotica. We're not a million miles away from that. Yeah. And she's assembled like her crew, so she they have all these jokes about the Orion pirates. Well, I thought I thought Tandy was really good with this. She wasn't happy at being a pirate, yeah. was she? It's like, she's, yeah. uh, I'll have like it comes comes out and she's there. Uh, Look not all of Ryan's are pirates anymore. A lot of us stopped being pirates at least five years ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's like, uh, she calls Rutherford Bionic 5 or so. And I don't know if this is like a really obscure reference. There was a kid's TV show called The Bionic 6. Um, oh, wonder. Which I don't know if it's that or is it a play on like Johnny 5 or something? I don't know. Yeah, um, I couldn't work out what he was, if it's but, just like, yeah, is it's it just, a play on B4? Maybe, yeah, it's just a throwaway name, I don't know, maybe we're looking for stuff where it's not there, but um, I like that Tendy and Rutherford really get into it, whereas Boimler doesn't, so they cast someone else well, as his role. Yeah, well, yeah, she has a simulation as his role, and yeah. he goes, that's nothing like me, and he goes... Well, I love my captain, but I don't want to be here. And he goes, oh, well, maybe it is a lot like me. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a good bit where um, Mariner sort of rattles off this, like, threat to her, and she finishes it with, today you die. And again, I don't know if this is intentional or just coincidence, but there's a famous clip from um, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, and it's... You can find it on YouTube if you you Google, like, worst line delivery of all time. And it's one of the baddies in that says this thing, like, it's something like she says, what a pity, now you will die. And it's really similar, so I don't know if they did that on purpose, uh, but it certainly reminded me of it. Yeah, I think that pretty much everything in this episode is is a reference somewhere. It feels like it, yeah. 
Uh, even like you've got the way the uh, they board the ship is a bit like in Star Trek Beyond, how them um, yeah, with the pods, the pods came in. Yeah, yeah, it like I was trying to think, and I like I think they've covered pretty much every movie here. Yeah, in some way or other. Yeah, most likely. Yeah, and I'm sure there'll be breakdowns on the internet picking it. You know, we definitely won't pick up on everything in this podcast, but. Yeah, like, there's so much in yeah, it. Yeah, like, I, I was thinking about this. And, like, when we go to Discovery, not next week, the week after, we'll be doing the full show on the episode. And we set out before this, because it was a cartoon, we decided that we'd, we'd split him in half. And with it being half but, an hour and, yeah. Yeah, but to be honest, we could, we could quite easily have done these as a full hour episode. Oh, each. yeah, you absolutely could do. These, these so much in them. They're very, very dense, yeah. Particularly, again, these last couple of episodes. Because it's, it's not just sort of dense on a story level and things. I think what they've done in the last couple is they've really stepped it up and it's it's the way it's produced, the way it looks, the style it's doing, and it's just referencing so many things on well, so many levels to, now. It's to reference itself as well, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Like, you have um, just the crew, two crew members, and one goes, I, I really loved your one-man show. Yeah. And that's the guy who turned around, um, hi, did you just beam in? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of beaming, there's a great line where they talk about uh, beaming people, and they say you can't do that. Says so it's a movie; you can do all sorts of crazy beaming in movies. Yeah, and I like um, like when they first arrive on the pod. So the the the, the squish air, the guy from from the one man show. Yeah, when they come in, then they get off the the pod, and Rutherford's sort of like, hold on, these are all exact simulations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You mean I? Go tell my boss anything I want. Yeah, great. And he runs off and you think, oh, what's he coming out with? Yeah, and it and just it, turns... And to go tell him how great he yeah, is. Yeah, it just turns into this love fest between <laughs> yeah. them, which is really good. And the ship crashes, and it's obviously very much like in Generations. Generations. And the line about the beaming is obviously a, a dig at Star Trek Into Darkness. We can... Uh, yeah. beaming to Cronos. Um, so yeah, like you say, if they haven't covered every film, they've had a really good go at it. Yeah, I think I think like you have at the end is Star Trek Three. Yes, I've, yeah. Uh, the part with the Serato- where they go and see the Serato's, That's definitely the motion picture on Star Trek Four. The titles at the start of Wolf of Khan. Yeah, and. We we get to sort of despite all of this and yeah how funny it is and the the parody elements and everything. What we actually get at the end of this episode is some really good character development for Mariner. Oh, that, you know she gets confronted by herself, who pretty much quotes aliens when she turns up. The get away from my mother and yeah. <laughs> um, so you know not just referencing Star Trek movies, but. And this fight between the two of them reveals a lot about Mariner because it's taken from her personal logs. So yeah, it's sort of like yeah. Um, I know my mum's tough on me, but if she wasn't and she kicked me off this ship, I'd be done in Starfleet. Yeah, and, and 
it's easy being cool. I could do the hard thing. Yeah, and she admits... And, and do my job well. <laughs> she admits how much she cares about everybody, including her mother. Yeah. And she shows that she's willing to sacrifice for the ship. So yeah, um, it, I love what I love going and watching the warp core, yeah. even though it's nerdy. So it's really good that we're we're getting that development, but then also she takes it away with her at the end of the episode, and she acknowledges it once she's out of the holodeck. So I think obviously this is going to feed into where we go in the last episode because Boimler goes back in and sees the eulogy, and he finds out that. Um, obviously the captain is Mariner's mother. Yeah, like, like to be fair, throughout the entire... Right up until this episode, it's been unclear mm. if the crew knew that Mariner was Beckett's daughter or not. Yeah, you're right. Because you, you get some, like... Oh, I can't remember the name of the episode, but you have the one where she gets promoted. Yeah. And you get the feeling that Ransom knew that it's a daughter and all that with things to do. Yeah, maybe. But the... this comes across that no one knows. Yeah, and she—I mean, she is. She does say that outright in the the eulogy that she gives. So, yeah, it's interesting. Like you say, it's been a bit of a grey area whether they've known or not. But yeah. now it appears that they didn't. So the fallout from that presumably is going to be in the the season finale. Yeah. Well. Looking at um, the teaser that we got, there's definitely going to be a little bit of something about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's going to be most of the episode, I think, because in the teaser there's like an exocomp, and I think that's probably going to be the opening the opening teaser to the episode. I don't see we're doing a whole episode about exocomps. I mean, we had one of them in TNG and it wasn't very good, so hopefully we won't get a like, whole another one. Well, let's be fair, I don't think they've... Uh, I think this entire series has gone from strength to strength. Yeah, absolutely. And if um, like we've talked about the dialogue, the first episode or two was a bit clumsy. How yeah. it was delivered, but we know the reasons, or we think we know the reasons why yeah. it was probably like that. But it's definitely found itself. Oh yeah, I, th- I think it was once Badgie turned up. That's when it turned a corner, and <laughs> um, we've been we've been playing sailing since then. A uh, couple more things just before we wrap up the episode. So, uh, you get Da Vinci <laughs> shooting the the resurrected version of um, Mariner's villain. Which is Star Trek 3. Yeah, and then Star Trek there's, 6. There's, we a get... ni- there's a nice little touch when uh, Tandy gets really annoyed with how um, Mariner's carrying on and she goes, you're going too far, you're taking this far too far. Yeah. And uh, that, and it, and she steps off the holodeck and all the blood and guts just removed yes, from her. The fact yeah. Is, which I thought was a nice touch. Yes. And it's, so it, sh- and it's how it should be because we've seen so many times in Next Gen where they yeah. slipped up on that and things carried on past the holodeck. And- no, absolutely. Yeah, that Wesley snowball that he somehow managed to chuck out and yeah. data's which bit of paper. Which interesting things. So if you go swimming in the holodeck, when you come out, you should dry because it's holiday. holiday yeah, you water. should do. Absolutely, you should. Yeah, it'd be interesting. But uh, yeah, you're right. So that is a good little touch. And then the end credits to the the movie within the episode there, Star Trek Six. Yeah, um, there's a nice bit that um, right at the beginning that we missed um, before it turns into a movie when 
uh, Boimler's sort of uh, getting his program ready to actually do its own work like what he wants it for. Yeah. And he goes, I programmed all these people. And Rutherford goes over, I can never remember the security guard's name. Oh, is it Strax? It's something, something like that. Like but that. he goes up to him, he goes, how are you, sir? He goes, piss off, I'm busy. And he goes, wow, amazing. I've just had <laughs> yes. that exact conversation with him. <laughs> yeah, very good. And that does seem like exactly the sort of conversation you would have with him. He's... His characterization's been very, very consistent throughout the yeah, throughout I, the show. He's very much um, oh, what would you call it? I'm trying to think of words, but he's very much sort of looking at Kira, her bad points when she was angry. Yes, yeah, and it's just the anger all the time. Yeah, he's not got the other. Oh, we haven't seen the other sides that Kira developed, but. Yeah, like you say, really, really strong episode. Yeah, and really look, enjoyed it. Looking Beautiful, for lovely homage. Yeah. So there's so many, so many little touches, sort of, not just referencing other Star Trek shows and movies, but it's now building up on its own, referencing itself. Yeah, which and is it, so it's building up that these are this is an ongoing world. And things have happened in this ongoing world, and and we're seeing it played back, and it's which is nice that it's now it's only nine episodes in, but we they've got enough now that they can start referencing themselves. Yeah, instead it of going, shows it shows a confidence in the vision that you're putting out there that you you're now able to start doing that. So yeah, and it shows how well how well written it is, and yeah. that they haven't just gone random episodes. There's been a there's has a plan oh, throughout the whole, whole, whole show. These are, uh, there's character development and yeah, these ongoing arc. Definitely. So we'll see how it all winds up next week. And for our time travel episode next week, we alluded to it earlier on. We're going to bring back uh, Dr. Squee and Ambassador Nicola and we're going to tackle the city on the edge of forever, which... I don't think needs much of an introduction, but is generally regarded as one of one of, if not the greatest Star Trek episode. Yeah. So we're gonna. It's one of them that when the two pulls, what's your favourite Star Trek of all time? It's one of those that's always in the top three. Yes. So we're gonna cover that one, and we're gonna cover the finale of Lower Decks before we move on to Discovery the week after. Yeah, I've just started my rewatch of the whole Discovery. Ready Excellent. for it? Yeah, I might have to try and squeeze that in before we get there. Yeah, it's what 27, 28 episodes. Yeah, not so... too bad. So one season in old money, so it's doable. Yeah, it's not. It's locked in. Can't go anywhere. It's exactly. not difficult. It's it. So in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at RetrekPod. You can email us RetrekPod at gmail.com or you can come on the Facebook group and let us know what you think. Thanks for trekking with us this time and we'll see you next time on the Retrek. Thank you. Bye-bye. Fascinating.